as a writer director all i care about is myself and my craft and my art and and i'm always thinking well i need to do this and this and i got to release that and i got to do that fostering's like none of that it's like you this dog is more important you know what i mean and you yeah. need to treat this earth better and people better so i think a lot of successful films are about more without making it so preachy they're able to keep you entertained but then you walk out of the theater thinking well wait a minute you know and that's kind of what i want to sort of strive to continue to work on and do and we just and laugh we don't even talk about anything he'll just be like hey, hey, hey. Yeah, i don't know if you remember but when you're a kid you enter what's called like a flow state so you're not necessarily thinking of like well wait a minute this guy should come here and do this now because that's what should happen. no you're just like Come here, you evil! No, I'll never stop. And the whole time I'm saying this, by the way, I gotta show you. Look who's standing here right now. <laughs> oh, we got smoke. Hi, <laughs> hi, hello. Great then, welcome to Brevuras, which is an online show and podcast affiliated with Restream, on which we are hosting today's episode. I would like to introduce our today's guest, who is not only one of the most creative filmmakers I've come across, but also an incredible human. He started creating films at a young age with his brothers. Since graduating from Columbus College of Art and Design in 2006, he has directed more than 100 projects, some of which include films inspired from his real-life experiences, like Lost and Found, Superboys, among others. And now... He is focusing on creating movies with different themes and styles, some of which include Space Dust, Life's Work, and Shaman's Call, which I believe would get premiered on his birthday coming on November 11th. I'm so happy to have you with us, John. Thank you for making this happen. To be here, excited to, uh, you know, do this. Thanks a lot. Great. And just to start things off, I was looking at your, you know, current movie, which is going to get released. the shaman's call and i could figure it out that it was filmed in a desert it's inspired from one of your rock idols jim morrison and you know in your own words i would love to know anything that you can share with us because this truly seems intriguing it's an interesting project you know you mentioned that a lot of my films kind of are based off things that have actually happened to me And after finishing both uh, Superboys and Lost and Found, the posters are right there. Um, I was like, you know, I want to, I want to start showing the world that there's more to my sort of creative mind, and still tie in, you know, things that have occurred to me and happened to me, but not make it so literal. And so during quarantine, um, I actually went to Joshua Tree a few times. And if you guys don't know what Joshua Tree is, it's kind of it's about two hours away from LA. It's like super popular desert area where everyone goes to kind of expand their mind and like take mushrooms and dive into the desert and have a you know self-reflective experience. And so I've gone numerous times, um, and I always had an infatuation with the desert because of Jim Morrison from The Doors. Um, when I was really young, like even in high school, I remember I got obsessed with Jim Morrison reading books and stuff. and uh just love sort of his approach to his craft and doors music and his poetry and just his kind of don't right. give a fuck lifestyle <laughs> yeah and i was actually reading a bit about him and it was quite fascinating to see that how in one of the interviews he predicted the future of music that uh, the edm style of music he predicted it earlier i heard it on joe rogan podcast 
this was in the seventies. He's like, I feel like music could just become instead of a full band, it could just be like one person with a bunch of machines or tapes or setups, which he didn't know computers, you know, at that point. Um, and yeah, he literally predicted DJing pretty much, you know, uh, and what we have now is one of the most popular. And so anyways, he's been a huge influence on me and just throughout my whole life. And he only died when he was 27, but here I am 37 and still obsessed with the guy. And so I wanted to do a project kind of that had some of that in there, but it's, it all started from me writing about my trips to the desert where I went to kind of find my voice and discover my, myself and just, you know, dive with him and, you know, have the stereotypical mushrooms tripping out in the desert. And I came back and I started writing about it and I was like, this is funny, you know, but it needs more. And if you guys have ever seen the film Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the very first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, uh, there's a part where the Ninja Turtles are meditating and Splinter comes to them through the fire. And he has this sort of grand message. Yeah. And I thought, how cool would it be if Jim Morrison came to me while I was in the desert? Uh, and so it's kind of like that, but it's not also. So you find out in the film that it's actually not Jim Morrison. It's sort of a future generation of man that is communicating through this trans-dimensional way to try to give him this message about his life that it's not all bad and that when you focus on the negative as an artist you only bring more negative and there is a way to kind of overcome depression and that sort of even writer's block just being stuck in your own head and that is to listen to your inner voice and overcome all that and continue to be I think the best artist and creative person that you can be. And so that's kind of the message of the film. And um, it's really fun. It's really unique. I have Bill Dawes, which is one of my favorite comedians here in LA that I worked with on Superboys, my last film. He plays Jim Morrison. So we went to the desert. My team and I um, stayed at an Airbnb for a few days, uh, shot this project. It was so much fun. We really bonded together, my team and I. We hung out in the hot tub and we're up all night and having fun. So, And what's crazy is I found out when we went to the desert, we ended up filming the day that Jim Morrison died, which I didn't even plan that at all. So we really felt like we channeled Jim Morrison and his essence and his vibe to kind of bring this sort of Zen. And it's called Shaman's Call because a lot of times they called Jim Morrison the shaman. He had a very mystical air to him. And so that's kind of what it is. It's this fun five minute short film about this artist who tries to find himself and in, 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 uh, meets someone who changes his life pretty much. Yeah, I can totally feel the passion from your side. And to be honest, it's such a great experience to have an articulate guest like you. I can totally feel your love for Jim Morrison and how you're keeping his legacy alive. I mean, the 60s generation, it was known for innovation, creating its own unique thing aside from weed and stuff. And it's great to see how you're involving that inside your projects as well. I totally believe, I mean, what bands like queen did to music you are doing that to filmmaking the kind of relation which you have with your team is so inspiring to watch and i think this would benefit many aspiring filmmakers out there that how are you able to create an environment where everyone feels independent in terms of i know that you are experienced in different areas of film production so you have experience in all of them still how are you able to make your team feel as if they are open enough to share suggestions and something that they can add up to the projects as well as the actors can open up? Because when I see the outtakes and behind the scenes, the kind of improvisation which I get to hear is just mind-blowing. You want to kind of create an atmosphere where that is welcome, but at the same time, um, I think with being low budget, you have to be very well planned. 
So that doesn't always allow for like, oh yeah, let's spend another three hours figuring out if we can come up with some more funny stuff. So to <laughs> me, I, I read a lot of interviews and stuff with other filmmakers and they're like, oh yeah, you know, um, we decided, oh, that looks cool over there. Let, let's try that over there. It's like, we don't always have that time with as an indie production. You have to be on top of it. You know, from this hour to this hour, we need to be filming this. And if that goes long, then we don't have enough time to film this part after that. And so in a way, what I've started to do with my recent projects is become so well planned during pre-production and having things so well laid out. Even I think you saw in some of the clips there, I storyboard pretty much every shot. And so in a way, we're so planned and so ready and prepared that we have, you know, each shot, they, everyone knows, I, I can just hold it up and show to everyone on my team, this is what it's supposed to look like. Um, and then in terms of the schedule, we know we have to do it at a certain time. But what's fun is once you get there, that's when you can open up for suggestions, I, especially in the moment with the actors and the dialogue and the comedians. That's something that I always love to do. So what I would do is I would go ahead and say, all right, let's film it how we have it planned, do the line. And then wait a minute, you know, that was kind of funny that one, do it this way, you know? And then, so it does kind of evolve. And um, I think what's cool is getting, what I've found is talented people in each one of their roles, then you can let them focus on each part that they're supposed to be focusing on. And that's when I think the suggestions really help as well. Because, you know, everybody's been on that set where Joe Schmo in the corner who's supposed to be carrying cables is like, well, what if we put the camera here and do that? It's like, eh, it's not really your role. And so I think what's cool is now I have people that are so good at each of their individual roles on my team that I can really trust them. I can say, this is the shot we're getting. This is what it's supposed to look like. You set it up, you figure it out. And a lot of times, um, Ali Ibosevich, my DP that I've used on a lot of my recent shorts, she'll say like, I know you have it here in this, but what about this? I found this angle. I'm, yes, you know? So in a way it's good to be really prepared because it gets you there. And then when you have really talented people, I think it's good to be able to open up and listen to their suggestions. Because once you're on set, things evolve and you have to be ready um, but still sticking within that plan, you know? So it's cool how right. it kind of all has, it's like a organized chaos, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can per perfectly understand. And how can one develop this team of competent people, especially in the early stages when you are on a low budget or even have no budget at all? How are you able to convince people and look out for real competency in terms of working with them? It's not easy. I think the film you're showing down here right now, that was the very first big film project I ever did. This was 2009. And I'm not going to lie, I got people off Craigslist, man. I got family, friends, anybody who was willing to help and work on this did. And it's an it open awesome. forum. Yeah. And, you know, it was my first big project. I made it in Cleveland, Ohio. I learned so much from doing this film. It was a huge success. We sold out the premiere, you know, and we had like 370 people came. I was in the newspaper and the news and everyone that worked on it was so proud of it. You know what I mean? But I learned a lot through that project. And I learned like, again, like I said, you need talented people for each one of those roles, you know? And so a lot of like Max right there, he's great. My the practical effects guy, you see him spraying the blood yeah. and stuff. And so I ended up just continuing to look for people that were really good in those individual roles. Um, and I think, like I said, when you're getting started, wherever you can find them, it'd be your friends, family, people off Craigslist. Um, and then I think what happens is you start to build up your resume and your work. So you do your first short or whatever, and you're like, okay, this came out cool or whatever. Use that to show more people to say, hey, I want to do more. It's going to be like this, but better. 
And that's what I would do is I would say, here was my last project, came out really good. We won a few awards. We're going to do even better on this one. And that's how I've been able to pull, you know, new people. Um, word of mouth is great, especially obviously in the film industry. You work with someone who you really like and you say, well, we really need someone to do costumes. I know someone who did costumes on this other film I worked on. All right, let's give them a shot, you know. Um, yeah. And I think ultimately, you got to be a good judge of character. You know, you got to know if people can bring it, you know, to the table. Sure. And I can totally see that how uh, invested uh, not only you, but your whole team is in sort of developing the project. And I even see your stories that you spend 17, 18 hours uh, shooting and just carrying all the equipments inside your car. And what is, I know that you are quite involved in each and every part of the filmmaking process. Still, what is your favorite part of the whole filmmaking? Because I just love to see how you're involved in each one of them with equal intensity. For years, it's been more of like a, if you want, I don't want to say if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. But like, there's that element to it. It's like, nobody else knows what's up here. And so if you have this vision and this goal and this dream and this idea, you've got to be the one to execute it. And so I think for years, I just was very hands-on, like everything, even the film you were just watching, I did makeup, I did like costume stuff. I mean, I filmed and directed, I ended up editing that whole film. I ended up doing some sound design stuff, visual effects. And it was more of a necessity. I think now as I'm getting older and working on some higher you know, level productions, I'm focusing on what I think I'm best at. And I think ultimately I'm a storyteller, you know? I mean, like I love to tell stories. Um, I think that comes from, you know, very thousands of years now, humans have been gathering around the fire and telling stories. And so I think, you know, we all know people that are better at telling stories than others. And we've all told stories to someone that you, oh, that was kind of a good story. I had them hanging on there, you know, and I love it so much. I've always just loved telling stories. And so I think that has evolved into using my creative abilities to tell these stories. And so like at an early age, my brothers and I, we were using toys and filming ourselves and dressing up. You know, then I went to college and I learned how to edit and that helped me, you know, execute and tell these stories even better. And then I did the film Never Escape, which you showed. And then from there, just continuing to do more and more. And it's all about like telling these stories. And so I think what was really good for me was I know quarantine was rough for a lot of people, but for me, it allowed me to just sit in my damn apartment and focus on my life and figure out what I wanted to do and dive back into my craft, which is writing and directing. And I think, you know, the whole research, writing, um, coming up, brainstorming, coming up with the ideas, editing your stories, and then, you know, finally having the script is just so rewarding and fulfilling to me. And then being able to take it and work with people and execute it and turn it into a final project. I mean, that to me, it's the ultimate level of like today's day and age. Like if you're a storyteller, you can get on the mic, you can tell your friends, you can do so many things, but this is like, I'm using every sort of medium to get these stories out there. And so ultimately I think writing and directing is really just my calling. I, I, I really, I know it's corny when people say this, it's like, I feel like this is why I've been put on earth. You know, like I love <laughs> telling stories. And this is what, you know, I really feel like a calling. It's like in life, I've, I've seen my films help people. And I've seen how film has affected my life and how creativity and storytelling and art can be such a positive influence on people's lives. And so that's, that's what I think, you know, I'm really here to do. And John, help me understand this, that when it comes to writing stories that have deep layers, 
how are you able to access that part of your unconscious where you can take out those experience which you didn't know you were even aware of but will move the audience because that's what i find quite fascinating when i see some of my favorite stories i think like it did start at an early age for me because i mentioned you know we started making movies as kids i think like my brothers and i would go to see a movie and we would be like that was really cool but we didn't like this one part and like it would be better if this happened instead So we just started making our own versions with toys, you know? And so I think at an early age, I was able to kind of adapt stories into something that worked better for me. And so I think ultimately that's what I'm doing now is I'm continuing this process. I did a fan film called The Mask Returns, which was pretty big on YouTube. And it's, you know, the movie The Mask with Jim Carrey. Uh, right. This was based off the, the um, comic book, the the famous graphic novel. And so we had like a hot chick puts the mask on, you know, instead of like a Jim Carrey type character. And that was my first sort of like adaptation. I had read the comic and sort of adapted it into a five minute short. And from there, you know, it's just continued on. And I absolutely love it. Like I will do a bunch of research. I'll watch a bunch of movies. I'll write a bunch of stuff. I'll bleh, just pour out stuff from up here. And I'll look at that stuff and I'll go, what's good here? What is funny? What is a story? And it's cool because you can kind of, in the process, like a lot of people say, you're just like regurgitating on the page. You're just getting it all out there. And so you might not know going into a film what exactly it is you want to do, but through pre-writing and writing and just pouring it all out there, you start to, oh, wait. And then once you start to craft the film, it's like, your brain fires off. Ooh, remember when you had that idea? This works here now. And so in a way, it's kind of just reappropriating. Um, and then ultimately, I think editing, you know, like since I started editing, you know, in college and I've been doing it since then, like religiously, I've gotten really good at like knowing what to cut and knowing what you need and what should go where. And so that helps in the writing process too, because you're like, okay, I want to tell this big, crazy story about this guy that does this crazy thing. But like this part right here, eh, it's not as good. This is the part that's good. And then you know, this is what I need to focus on. Yeah. So it's kind of just a, a blend, you know? And that's a great way of looking at it. I respect your whole view of seeing it. And just seeing your earlier pictures, you know, which you made with your friends or even your brother. You know, I'm interested to know that how are you able to question yourself, use your imagination and curiosity in a way to bring out the unexpected parts, not only of a story or a particular experience you're making a movie on, but just in general, have those unique, in-depth characters. Because even when I see Joker, especially the one played by Heath Ledger, there are certain parts of him which I go and say to myself, I still don't know what this character is. There are still so many layers to it. And I wonder how can one question themselves and get into the psychology of a character and come out with those layers, which I've seen writers, not only Christopher Nolan, but also Russian novelist Fyodor Dostoevsky do in a really good fashion. Like I was saying earlier, you know, you have to kind of be a people person when you're working with these crews. And I think you have to also use that knowledge when you're coming up with characters. And you have to think like, you know, I think there's an element of me and a lot of the characters I write. It might not be spot on me, but, um, you know, we all go through different times in our life where you were more upset or you were more depressed or you had a happy time. And so you're just dialing in those emotions when those, you know, occurred and stuff. But honestly, man, I, I ultimately, this is what I usually say to stuff like this. Um, I think because growing up making these movies with my brothers was such a big influence on my life. 
it's like, do you remember when you were a kid and you used to just play pretend with your toys? You just pick them up and you ah, come here. Ah, no, I'm gonna die. Right, it's I that. remember my WWE days. So many of my friends, you know, they get to all the wrestler dudes and you battle. And you kind of, I don't know if you remember, but when you're a kid, you enter what's called like a flow state. So you're not necessarily thinking of like, well, wait a minute, this guy should come here and do this now because that's what should I, no, you're just like, come here, you evil, no, I'll never stop. And you're flowing, you're not like, you're just becoming the characters. And it's like, that's what I think makes a good writer and a good sort of creative minded person. Is and you're how able to are enter you, how are you able to go and tap into that flow state? With all of this stuff, it takes practice. And so I'm 37 years old and I probably started making movies when I was, I don't know, maybe like 10, 12 years old. And so again, I've just been picking up the camera and doing it as many times as I can. But um, I really think that it's important to, I, I talk to so many people that are like, John, how do I figure this out? How to, just do it. Just start doing it. If you don't start now, you'll never get, you know? And so like, for me, I really just think it's been practice makes perfect. And try and try again and doing it so many times has gotten me to this point where I am able to kind of write all these things off. And um, I think one thing that I really excelled at lately is like writing dialogue because a lot of people struggle with writing dialogue. And for me, when I'm sort of in the zone and I'm coming up with a story, I can write dialogue and I don't even notice time passing because it's like I enter the conversation. You have to be able to like remember like... Um, I don't know if you ever seen the show Westworld, but in in the show Westworld, they show these robots that in their mind, their program, they have like a dozen sayings up here, and they're like, mm, "I'm gonna pick this one and then that one." You have to be very analytical, kind of, you know. It's like you're picking, like, okay, this, this, and that. You know, you're thinking of what to do, and so and then it just it starts to flow. I think the better you get at it. And I can totally tell by your movies, and I mean this as a compliment, that when I watch your stuff, take it from Lost and Found, Super Boys, it just doesn't feel like I'm watching a movie. It's just an elongated piece of content. And I'll say this why, because I've even watched many short films, award-winning short films on YouTube, 10 minutes, 30 minutes long, and there are parts where I just want to fast forward or skip them. And when I watched Lost and Found, and as well as Superboy, there was not even a single part where I had to be like, oh, can I skip this? Because the knowledge which you have of comedic timing and all that is just so wonderful to watch. And this just leads me to this question that was this writing style that you have now, is this something that came naturally to you or did you experiment and edited a lot of stuff to arrive at this place? It came at first from just watching stuff, you know what I mean? Um, and I think like our generation is very ADD. And so like, you know, as a kid, you'd be watching a show and a commercial would come on and be like, come on, hurry up. I want to get back to the dang show, you know? And so um, I kind of innately have this like, let's move it along. Let's keep going. You know what I mean? I don't need to be sitting here waiting for the story to unravel. I want to see it now. And so um that i think has helped me in developing my own stories and a lot of times one thing that i've found is especially nowadays with youtube they say like you have i think it used to be like 30 seconds then it was 15 then it's 12 i think you have like eight to ten seconds now when a video starts to wow someone or they're off because everything's happening on you know smartphones and tablets now so i think that for me um i have applied that sort of add knowledge and <laughs> theme to my writing so it's like you know nothing i think should be there that isn't absolutely needed you know even in this recent script that i've been working on 
the dream, which I brought with me here. Um, I, in analyzing it, you know, the first draft was 138 pages and um, way too long. And I knew that that's fine because it was the very first draft. I was getting it all out there. And then there's so many things, man. I was like, I love this part, but is it necessary? Is it a hundred percent? Like if it goes, will the audience still know what was going on? And the answer is yes. So then it's gone. If you even have the inkling of, ah, is this kind of boring or eh, then it's got to go. You know what I mean? It's got to go. And so that's one thing that really helped me. Now I've got it down to 111 pages and I was able to use that kind of knowledge of like, if it slows, if it's boring, if it doesn't help the core story, it's got to get cut. It's got to go. Yeah. And it's best to see that how you share all this behind the scenes and this filmmaking process on your Instagram and other social media sites. It's quite a fascinating thing. And I encourage any aspiring filmmaker to do check out his Instagram. The link would be in the description. Just talking about congratulations, first of all, on finishing the final draft of your movie, The Dream. And I know it means quite a lot to you because it's inspired from your high school days of the 90s. And I know it involves a lot of you know, smoking weed and all those human chimneys and stuff. Still, I'm just curious to know, uh, what can we expect to see? I know you don't want to give out a lot of stuff, but like, does it also consist of the filmmaking part of you? Because even looking at your photos, I mean, you just look like a right hand of that drug lord, Pablo Escobar. And <laughs> knowing that you started out this whole filmmaking process when you were quite young, I remember you mentioning somewhere that you begged your parents to get you those VHS cameras at that time, not to make you sound old, but during those days, it wasn't that uh, dwell up. I'm just curious to know, will it also have a filmmaking side to it or is it completely different? That's the VHS camera. Wait, let's see that I begged my parents to get, and I got it as a tattoo. So yeah, I mean, with this film, it's funny how everything evolves. So like with Lost and Found, you know, the film here, it was, you know, my dog passed away and it was really hard on me. And then I started fostering and it turned my life around. So I wrote that into a story and I played myself in the story. Um, Super Boys, I thought I got to do the same thing. I, it made such an impact. I helped save so many dogs with, with Lost and Found. I was like, I want to tell people about my brother, you know, who is special needs and how growing up making videos, movies together helped us grow and turn us into the people we are today. And so Superboys was great, but with Superboys, I stretched it a little bit. That was the first time I was like, I don't want it to be exactly real life. I want to take some creative liberties. And I felt like that was more successful. So now moving forward, like I said earlier, I'm trying to do shorts that have nothing to do with my life, but maybe things that I'm very passionate about or elements and themes. So with the dream, I was like, okay, <laughs> I we were fucking wild in high school. And, <laughs> oh, um, I can feel that. Yeah, we we were it was like doing hood rat stuff with your friends, basically, you know, and um, so I knew that I wanted to do something that was based off all this stuff, but not necessarily like this is John's true high school story. And so I analyzed a lot of films like one of the big things that got me to kind of start thinking in this route was watching like um, American Graffiti. You know, before it's George, before George Lucas could do Star Wars, he did American Graffiti, which was a huge success. And he was able to get the budget, you know, from 20th Century Fox because American Graffiti did so well. And then you look at other films, you know, um, that are very like these coming of age stories of a generation. You know, you've got Days and Confused, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, you know, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Breakfast Club, John Hughes movies in general. And they have this very 
like they're just fun to watch. You just love to sit down and oh, remember when life used to be like that. And so I thought, how come there's no like late 90s, early 2000s hip hop white boy in the suburbs, you know, coming yeah. of age story. And so that's kind of what I set out to do was take this kind of really funny, crazy um, like you said, weed filled uh, fantasy of these dudes with these giant baggy pants and chains and crooked hats. And man, we, I mean, we did so much crazy stuff. And so ultimately, yeah, it's kind of has that, but it's about so much more. Um, so like I said, it was a, a very influenced by like John Hughes, Breakfast Club type films, but also I was really influenced by the film Goodfellas. So it's kind of like this coming of age 1990s stoner buddy comedy meets gangster film. And so you know how Goodfellas is uh, narrated by Ray Liotta? And he's like, ever since I could remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. And he talks to you very like himself. I thought that's what I want, you know? So imagine basically this is Pete Davidson, if you could picture anybody's voice, retelling his, his crazy high school years, you know? Like, yeah, we fucking did this and it was nuts and I can't believe why I did that. And so the narration is very realistic and it's very me, you know, and I, and I tried to make it different. Um, I felt like voiceover in films is very overdone. So I try to make this unique and different and fun. Um, and also, you know, Martin Scorsese said in, in doing Goodfellas, he tried to focus on more of a two act structure. It's kind of the rise and the fall. You show the glorification of the lifestyle and how awesome it was. And then you show the consequences of this lifestyle. And that's exactly what the dream sort of, evolved to be was you show these just lost dudes in high school and their their teachers don't understand them their parents don't understand them they're not learning anything at school they know they've got potential but sadly it's not coming out through school because the school is more focused on treating them like they're prison you know and they're yeah. always putting corrective learning and detention and so ultimately the main character he can't figure out what he wants to do with his life but he says you know i used to make movies as a kid and so he kind of learns in the end that picking up the video camera was better than, you know, picking up the blunt and selling weed and driving drunk and taking acid and doing pills. It was using his creative mind made him feel complete and made him feel like there was a purpose for his life. And he doesn't really, you know, discover that until the end. And so I'm excited because it really does have so much of me in it, even though it is a fun new story. Um, and I think I was a lot of themes that I kind of pursued. Oh, <laughs> I just knocked my camera over. No problem. Um, a lot, a lot of themes that I pursued in Superboys, I kind of revisited, but because, you know, it's a feature and so, you know, like in Superboys, I have this VHS tape here. Um, it's a fake VHS tape, but <laughs> it was this kind of idea of like me and my brother pick up the old camera we used to use as kids and make a movie together. And people love that. Like, you don't know how many times I've heard from people at festivals and everyone that's seen it is like my favorite scenes were those VHS scenes where it was just you guys making movies as kids. And I thought there's still something there. There's still something that I'm trying to say. I think it's such a big part of me that I had to get it in there again. And so, yeah, you know, like I said, it's the rise and fall. It's the showing the kids and the crazy lifestyle, but showing how creativity does kind of bring them back to this real humanistic sort of discovering of their lives. I personally would look forward to seeing how you depict all your school life experiences because I, I could totally relate with you on that part of feeling free and just thinking this whole education system we see, it's designed like a prison. Actually, my school looks like one, but just a, a courtyard and all the jail cells uh, around cornering it. And even the whole education system, the way they focus on memorization, it just buries that creative child inside you that f 
feeling of free flow which you were describing earlier it's amazing to see that how you were able to involve your high school experiences and are now working on a project related to that you know i just love the creativity it's in its infancy i mean the script is just i've been working on it for a very long time and it's just got to this point where i am starting to send it out to friends and see what they think and and then ultimately like shop it around and try to get a legit budget because we're talking period piece here cars 90s cars 90s style fashion i'm gonna need to hire little kids that look like us to be you know 18 16 17 year old so it's gonna be a big undertaking um but i think again the reason why i wanted to do it is everything like you just said i think people can really relate to my story and i think people will really relate to the dream because um i think everyone whether you got in trouble or whether you were the class clown or the teacher kiss you know ass like you're going to relate to the dream because it's got all those types of characters bullying um you know what i mean uh having a crush writing notes uh you know aol instant messaging girls late at night um trying to be cool in the 90s everything was about being cool and rap music and you know the fashion was ridiculous and i think what you just said was really you know it, it, i i really uh took it to heart because when you start out to do a script too, you don't know, you don't know if people are going <laughs> to like, gee, I hope someone, uh, you know, reacts to this. I hope someone likes this idea. And so that was really cool to hear because that is my goal is sort of, um, yeah, it sounds like a fun, goofy stoner comedy. And on the surface, you know, it is. And I think a lot of these films at the end of the day, they're just entertaining. It is Can we just go back to movies being entertaining again? You know what I mean? Yeah. There's so many marketing and Oh, well, we got to make sure that like it's, it's you know, woke enough and this needs to be this box needs to be checked. And I'm over all that. Let's just make a fucking entertaining movie. And so that's at the end of the day, the dream is entertaining, but it's got all those elements that you just described. You know, I think the, the school uh, system, especially here in America, is messed up still. And we're teaching kids stuff that isn't even like based off, you know, like. I have found out more on my own through discovering videos on YouTube and doing my own research than I was taught as a child. And yeah. the teachers, and yeah. <laughs> to, to be honest, I can just only imagine what it would like to be in the 90s when these technological things weren't developed. There were not these Adobe editors, Instagram, and all that to share your content. I mean, you guys must be like creatively exhausted and desperate. All the time if my brothers and i would have been able to put our movies on youtube man we would have a million followers by now but uh you know like i i do think like you said there's something there and i really i really glad to hear that because it's like i think at the end of the day everyone at some point like everyone that i've talked to about this script yeah i'm writing a script about my high school days almost everyone was like oh god my high school was such a uh you know and it's like I think it's fun. I think, I think if you think about it too, you know, we've got like Days and Confused is, um, or no, I'm sorry, American Graffiti is 60s, Days and Confused is 70s. You know, we've got the 80s Breakfast Club. Um, we've got like 90s, which is like clueless, but we don't have that like white boy sort of comedy that, and so many dudes, you know, grew up listening to rap music, very influenced by like Eminem and Dr. Dre and all that stuff. And now we're grown ass men, you know, living in society. And, um, you know, I, I dropped out of high school, man. I, it didn't go good for me. I ended up uh, working at this factory in the hood. I ended up becoming friends with all these guys. I ended up driving out to the east side of Cleveland, picking up pounds of weed, selling weed to the white kids in the suburbs, going back to the hood to get more. And this process, in a way, I learned more about life 
through this guy that I met that would take me around the hood, took me to my first black barber shop. He introduced me to people. I learned to respect these people that were from different walks of life other, other than my own, which was so sheltered in the suburbs. And that is still such a major problem today, especially with smartphones and technology. People are so sheltered. They don't get outside of their bubble. And I think it's really cool to see these kind of funny, goopy white boys that do end up going and doing all these crazy things, because I think at the end of the day, people will be able to relate. But ultimately, one thing that I do hope for is that, you know, this doesn't become one of those films that little kids watch and they go like, well, I want to drink and get behind the wheel. No, it doesn't show it in that way. Although we do show the kids getting away with some crazy shit, ultimately they get in a lot of trouble. And so I ultimately hope that, um, just like if someone watches the show Workaholics, I don't know if you've ever seen that show, but I love it. I love those dudes from Workaholics. And it's almost funny to watch them get fucked up and ruin their lives sometimes. Yeah. Because you go, I'm never going to do that, you know? And so that's kind of what I hope is that people, you know, when the dream is said and done and we do get to make this film, that it does kind of inspire kids to maybe not take the same route that I did and kind of screw up so many things in my life and total my car and get arrested and drop out of school and do all these things. It's like, through a film, I think you can watch someone else and escape and maybe hopefully learn, you know, and grow. Yeah. And I will make sure that this message is uh, rightly put in our Instagram page before you release the film. Even though I think people would be able to understand that, yes, you know, in the 90s, there were not these many technological terms where you could really exhaust your creativity into, unlike now. And the way you described your story and it's inspiring in a way because I'm currently actually writing Family Guy was one of the animated shows that was literally like therapy for the last two years of my high school and I say a lot about this I used to be one of those kids who who were the feet lickers of teachers and all that stuff till eighth grade after that I found this group of three friends you know we were not really backbenchers but they all had their own unique comedic touch to it. We all had our own personal, you know, maybe family issues or something. And we would just come together instead of crying about it or staying quiet about it. We would rip each other off. And it was such a great experience. And now I'm creating a show out of it that how we went through various school adventures together and how those guys opened me up in terms of just being more free and not being trapped inside the system. And just end up being one of the bums, which I now look back and I just uh, see that if I went that path, I would regret myself. And just continuing down the lane, you know, I really like how you shared in one of your stories that we all watch movies and you like to study them. And I would like to know in your own words, what do you mean by studying the movies? For me... And any of my friends will tell you this. I'm one of the worst people to watch a movie with because I just can't <laughs> shut it off. You know, like I'll go and see me. I'm like, really? That's the shot. That's the, you know, like I get. And so, you know, the, if you if you are one of these people, if you are one of these people who goes and you see a movie and you really critique it. And I think that's the key. And I think going to art college taught me the art of critique. And so I apply that to so many different elements of my life. Probably too many. I definitely over critique and overanalyze a lot of things in my life. But for films, I'll go to a film and I'll walk out and I'm just like, like, oh my God, this happened. Like, what you, can you believe that? Why'd they do this and this? And so I just started writing that shit down. I just started everything <laughs> that I was thinking. I just started writing it down. And so it started just from like, a, you know, why did they do this? Well, maybe I think they did this because, oh, or no, maybe it was time or no. Okay. I did, they did this and I just write, 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 write. And I do like to write, you know, when I'm doing this stage freehand, cause I think it helps. Like I said, when you're writing things down, then later when you're typing at the typewriter or your, or your computer, 
you're remembering because the writing it down, you know, your brain remembers it more. And so then once I realized like, okay, um, this, you critiquing movies to your friends, this is not just like for fun. You really have this side of you. So then I started writing it down and then you can see in some of these notes, like making it more specific. So like at the top of the page, let's say I like right there, uh, fast and fast times at Ridgemont high, write the, write the title. It was an hour and a half long. Uh, it was, came out in 1980, whatever. Uh, it had a budget of however many million dollars. This was the director. This was that. So then I started to get very precise with my notes. Um, I'll even then take those handwritten notes and put them up on a giant whiteboard and lay everything out so I can see it large scale and be like, okay, so this movie was an hour and a half, but that movie was two hours. And I like that. You see what I mean? So it's like just structuring this stuff for me helped me make decisions on what the dream should be before the dream even existed, you know? Um, and it is the dream, T-H-A, because it's hip hop inspired, uh, the dream. But yeah, I think, and, and I just was talking to one of my buddies about this the other day. He said he likes to critique movies too, and he's got ideas for films. And I said, dude, just start somewhere. Open up your phone and make a note in your phone and just write what you just told me. Here's the idea. This is what I think. And then come back to it in a week, two weeks, a month. And so I think if I could stress anything, it's just the act of doing it, writing it down, revisiting it and revising and editing. And if you do that over time, like the way I did it with the dream was I took some filmmakers advice and I'd never done it this way. I started writing note cards. Um, I started writing scene ideas on note cards and things that happened to us on note cards. And before you know it, I had a huge stack of crazy ideas and I started weed them down. Okay, this could happen now. That's too much. This could happen, but what if it happened to this character in this way instead? And so just having it really helped me start to see it. Once I had the note cards, then I was like, okay, I've got my outline. I've got my, you know, I had my plot, how I wanted it to go. And then I was able to get, get it started. Um, and one, yeah. one last thing I wanted to say too, is you were just kind of talking about how, you know, working with your friends really helped you. And, and that's in the film too. You know, I had two best friends and they're both, it's, it's me and two buddies. It's kind of based on in the film. And they were really such, and we're still best friends too, even though we don't live in the same state, we still talk to all, each other all the wow. time. But I think, um, you know, I grew up in a Christian family and I think that was kind of hard because, you know, I'm trying to be cool and, you know, get fucked up and smoke weed with my friends. But like, you know, I also <laughs> had this Christian background and, and I did love, I still love my parents and I wanted to please them so much. And I think that's what caused me to kind of have such a hard time. And same with my, my buddy was from, his parents were from Lebanon. You know, my other buddy was an only child and he was raised by his grandparents. So I think a lot of kids kind of had this, like, everybody has something that's kind of bringing them down or whatever, or just helping them not really feel like they fit in. The act of, as an adult now, taking all that stuff and bleeding onto the page and putting those tears and those frustrations. Yeah. These are things that I've lived with my whole life that once I got out, it was so cathartic and so freaking helpful for me. So I know with the project you said you're working on and anybody out there that has something that maybe happened to them, but they want to put into a story, do it. Because I feel like a better filmmaker, a better writer, and a better person just because I was able to get this out and kind of get it off my chest. And, you know, it's it's things that I wish I could have said to my parents back then, but I'd said in the script, you know, and, yeah, and things that I, I wish am. I said to bullies and people, I got it out there and, and I feel so much better because of it. 
Man, you can say that again and I can perfectly relate with it. Even I just finished the first draft of this animation show which I'm thinking of. And the stuff that's coming out which I'm just improvising in the middle of the night just like you make those tiny notes. I also have like this notes app in my mobile phone. I just in the middle of the night I wake up and type some line or some experience that comes inside my mind. And I actually finished this first draft and it contains comedy of, you know, a level that many young people might not like you know it's a, a bit above that you know bit family guy type or beavers and butthead type and i sent it to a fellow animator you know who's also in high school and i thought you know maybe we can just create something out of it and i've i know some writers i can take their feedback on it they would love to watch it and she just read this content and like no way i'm doing that it's just out of my mind it's all the serious stuff i'm not into that edgy comedy you know i do all this light comedy and i'm just trying to i'll find a way what's the worst thing that i that can happen i learned 3d animation on my own 2d animation i'll take care of that in the next 3 years of college and just <laughs> proceeding on you know the admiration and the kind of patience which you have when it comes to fostering dogs is amazing you even shared yesterday that how serious situation it was with one of your foster dogs and before jumping into the movie lost and found i just want to know that how were you what impact did fostering dogs had on your life both personally and professionally that you are able to develop such kind of patience and you know just give them a good life definitely takes patience which is something that I'll be honest with you do not have I'm terrible at patience I cannot wait in line I'm like awful um but see that's kind of an old picture there that's back from when I used to live in Cleveland I always been a dog lover so those were my dog on my lap and my dog blue were mine and my buddy's dogs and then that there's Smokey and one of my fosters here that I fostered um so I've just always been a dog lover number 1 um and then i think uh when i moved here my dog baloo who was the little white one you saw in that old picture he passed away after a year so then i i uh, adopted russell and he was just an angel he was the best dog and he was a pitbull and there's so much negative stuff about pitbulls out there and he was just like the proof that it's all bullshit and he was such a good dog and he he changed me for sure he i was so in love with this dog and and tragically he did kind of pass away suddenly um and so that's when i was like you know I, there he is, my rusty boy. Um, I I knew that I wanted to continue to have a dog and see I would take him to schools and help educate him. Yeah, I adopted Russell from the shelter. You know, he's a rescue dog and he was used in dog fights, meaning like these piece of shit people used to throw him in a ring and starve him and another dog and make him fight. And he wasn't vicious or violent at all. So he would just get ripped up on by it, and they would use him to train the other dog to become more violent. So he had scars all over him and stuff. And I think once I really fell in love with Russell, I knew that there was more that I could be doing instead of just sitting every day and telling him I loved him. I wanted to share it with the world. And so um, I started volunteering and taking Russell to events with kids and stuff like that. And the whole time I'm saying this, by the way, I got to show you. Look who's standing here right now. <laughs> oh, we got smoke. Hi. Hi. Hello. Yes. I'm doing an interview. Is that okay? <laughs> Look at his tail. Oh, God. Um, so, yeah, Smokey's my dog now, and he's also the one that starred in Lost and Found and Superboy. So he play in Lost and Found, he doesn't play my dog. He plays the role of the very first dog I decided to foster. And yeah, that was because I love of that making movie, the film. Yeah. Thank you. I, I needed a dog that was going to listen to me <laughs> and behave, and it was indie, so I couldn't, you know, hire, like, a dog trainer. So I just used my own dog, and it worked out great. 
But I think it's been this evolutionary process of like wanting to get involved, wanting to do something, knowing that I have a voice, right? Like I feel like I'm such a storyteller. I have this voice and then doing something with that voice. And at the end of the day, I'm one of those people who like, you know, it's like actions speak louder than words. So I could sit here and tell you all day about how much I love these dogs and want to do things for these dogs. But getting up and actually saving one of them and bringing them into your home, that's what changed me. And I think feeling the love and bond that I had with Smokey and that I had with Russell and my other dog, Baloo, with all of my fosters, and then finding someone that's going to love them just as much, if not more, and give them such a good life, and then deciding to have to let go. It just helped me so much because I've had a hard time with letting go of things. Uh, when Russell passed away and my other dog, Baloo, I cried. I still cry. You know, I mean, it's it's not an easy thing to yeah. deal with. And so by it, continuing to save more, it's kind of helped me overcome a lot of that stuff. Yeah, it's hard to go through that stuff. And what was it that uh, fostering these dogs, you know, benefited you professionally and personally? Because a normal filmmaker or any creative artist, for example, my brother is also a great sound engineering and he also has love for dogs. And currently we have this, you know, tiny little shih tzu dog just lingering around the house and just you know just before 20 minutes before this conversation he was just trying to bite my pajamas and all that and I got impatient and I just shut down the door and all I can think of is that uh, how did fostering dogs help you professionally to such an extent that you are able to invest so much time just understanding them and providing them a good family? Because a normal creative artist or professional in your side would just have taken those cute little furry animals and had a great time without going through this whole thing of training them and once they destroy a rug and all that stuff yeah i mean you know or you like become a dog hoarder and i've got like a hundred pit bulls at my house um <laughs> no i think like you know what it is ultimately it helped me mature it helped me grow up and i think that as you can hear from my crazy stories about high school i wasn't very mature and uh even in college you know like we were joking they used to call us the cleveland thugs because we were these white boys <laughs> walking around with baggy pants and crooked hats and smoking weed but i was still always like very artistic and i love very passionate about art since i've been a kid um but i think like working with these dogs seeing a dog at a shelter behind bars basically that's about to be killed because they've run out of space nobody wants this dog going and taking that dog bringing it home, sleeping with it in your bed, caring for it, loving it, feeding it, taking it on walks, bonding with it, having so much fun with it, and then finding this dream home and taking them to this home and being this facilitator and making sure they the transition works. And um, some cases I've traveled, some cases it's local, going to the house. I've befriended these families of these people that have adopted dogs for me. That changed me. Because, you know, it's like seeing how helpless that dog was and then seeing him in this paradise. It's like, I did that. I did that. And I yeah. I struggle with and, depression sometimes. And it, it's helped me get out of that funk. It's helped me grow up and be like, dude, you can do great things if you put your mind to it. Yeah, and I can perfectly understand your side. And I do believe there's a relation between that. The way you said that you were involved into weed and all kinds of stuff, I think uh, it's quite uh, relatable in terms of a fostering a dog. And I'm no fighter dose of whiskey in terms of the psychology of an animal. But what I can talk about this is that 
I just think you didn't have that right environment in your school where you could just stress yourself out creatively. And that's what led you to this side. I mean, I had all the tools which I could learn from, even though I didn't have great environment. People just talked about these Netflix series and those bimbos and all that stuff. And I just found this outlet to you know, involve myself creatively. And just as a foster dog, like you shared yesterday that he kind of injured Smokey and all this uh, rug accident. And I think the main reason behind this misconception that people have with the foster dogs is because, you know, you don't know what a foster dog has been through. You don't know what his past life is. And they have been such dehumanized in a way that even when you bring to your home with good intentions with the view of caring about them they just can't relate to it man they've been so lost all their life and the moment they just can't feel that yeah this guy wants good for me and that's how it takes time to adapt it to it and i do respect you for doing such a great service thank you for what you do it's like i don't need thanks if anything i'm getting a lot out of this too and i hate to admit it but it is kind of uh you know i it, it helps me like i was saying and um but I, it's, it's a win-win. It's like I get to help a dog and I get to help my life. And especially over the last few years, a lot of times I've brought dogs home. It's because I just went through a bad breakup <laughs> or I'm struggling. I'm kind of depressed. Let me, I get another dog. Wow, it cheers me up. I'm feeling great. Um, and yeah, like you said, you know, yesterday I woke up, there's poop all over my rug. Damn it. And I thought, well, you know, I should have let her out, you know, and I think, eh. and it's, you got it. But it's like, such a small part. It's like, yeah, you deal with some of these little things, cleaning up poops, dog fights, whatever, but that's such a small percentage. And you also learn what not to do. You know, you become better at this as, as you go on. And so I think what's cool is like the benefits outweigh, you know, the negatives for me. And so um, now I actually moved to a house um, here in Los Angeles. I have a giant yard. And so I fostered awesome. two dogs now since I moved here. Yeah. And um. I just got my first kind of like Husky German Shepherd mix. I foster mainly pit bulls. Um, so she's great, but she's different. You know, she's digging holes in my yard and my <laughs> landscaping and, um, and I'm learning. And it's like, that's the thing is I think with anything in life, you've got to have some humor. You've got to be able to laugh. You know, if I didn't wake up yesterday and see that diarrhea all over my rug and just laugh, then I could go crazy. And it's like, it's a rug, dude. You spray it down, you wash it off, you clean it off. It's good to go. And I think that's, that's the thing is we need more people like this because I'm telling you the benefits outweigh the hardships when you're fostering, you know? Yeah. You, I've had so many dogs that I've brought home that click right away. They don't even need to be trained. They are perfect little angels. They don't do one single thing wrong. You know, sometimes they might destroy things here or there. Okay. You learn how to fix that and not let that happen again. And it's just been such a worthwhile thing for me to learn and grow and kind of become the man that I've become um, through doing this and through selfless. I think like as a writer director, all I care about is myself and my craft and my art. And then I'm always thinking, well, I need to do this and this and I got to release that and I got to do that. Fostering's like none of that. It's like, dude, fuck you. This dog is more important. You know what I mean? And so that's been really good for me too, is to uh, sort of remember that there's things bigger outside of yourself and, and these kind of dreams and goals that you have. They're great, but there's people, there's animals in need. And ultimately too, every dog that I've got adopted has helped people too. You know, a lot of times people say, thanks for saving that dog, but there's been people that have adopted from me and they said, this dog saved me, you know, and I am right. one of those people. And so it's awesome how it all kind of comes full circle. And 
it's kind of it's kind of funny that we've got to this part of the interview too because um, now that I have finished the dream, usually what I do is I move right into production and I go, okay, let's start getting the team together, let's start figuring out the budget, let's you know let's break down everything. Yeah. But I've decided to hold off on that. I think that uh, what I need to continue to work on is kind of pitching and sort of getting meetings and and sort of working all the materials for that project, which I've got. Um, but I want to keep writing, you know, I have got more shorts that I want to do and I've got, you know, more features that I know that I want to write. And I've noticed that through looking at my scripts over the years, they are getting exponentially better. Something like even, I know you said how much you love Lost and Found, but reading Lost and Found in the script for that compared to the dream now, it's like, I don't even want to read that. Like, this is so much better. And so just by continuing to do it, I noticed I've gotten, I've grown. Um, and so I thought, well, what would be kind of the next thing that I work on? You know, what is it that I want to do? And I've, I've had such um, positive feedback from my last two films that we put online this year, um, Life's Work and Space Dust. Space Dust was a sort of sci-fi comedy about two stoners who discover a meteor and it gives them superpowers. And it's, people just love the ridiculousness of it, you know? And I was able to take sci-fi concept and tie it into my stoner comedy. But then with life's work, the, the last one that, you know, has been online for the last few months, um, I've been very influenced by Twilight Zone and kind of Black Mirror type stories. And I wanted to do my own kind of story like that. But we decided to make it very stylized. It's very film noir and black and white and very kind of almost comic booky in a way. And I feel like I really found my voice on that project because by making it stylized, I was like, see, look, I, this is what I'm good at. You know, I'm good at embellishing a little bit and kind of diving into that comic book world of, of my brain because that's where I come from. And so now I'm kind of at the point where like life's work has won a bunch of awards, best sci-fi film, uh, you know, um, best set design, best acting. We've won so many things now that I'm like, I think there's something to this. I think I need to keep this part of my brain going. So it's very based off myself and comedic. I think the next thing I want to do is going to be more serious um, and more sci-fi and I was breaking down, like I said, so where I got to this was Lost and Found. So I was breaking down Lost and Found. And what was so successful about Lost and Found? Well, people liked that I told this story, this true gritty story about how my dog died. And then I started saving more because of it. And so many people related to that. And a bunch of dogs got adopted because of that. I would go city to city. I think you were just showing some clips of us at the red carpet. Right. And I'm just digging it and, out. <laughs> and they, it's fine. They would come up and they would say like, Oh my God, I never thought about fostering a dog. Your movie made me, you know, I'm going to go do that. Or I never even thought to go to a shelter. I'm going to go to a shelter. So what I realized is through doing a comedic story, but putting a narrative behind it, using my creative mind, this, what we've talked about is this, I this part of my brain that's developed and learned how to tell stories. I helped people like I helped dogs. I helped so many dogs get adopted through a funny story. It's been called like the uh, uh, the hangover meets pit bulls and paroles, you know, and that's great because <laughs> that's, that's what I want. Yeah. I think nowadays, too, we have too many people preaching and shaking fingers with these films and saying in drama, you know, you're wrong and this is how it should be. And there's all this woke mentality. You can't say this and it's got to be like that. And I'm just like, forget all that. I think, again, it needs to go back to being entertaining. So I think first and foremost, I want to continue to work on and direct and write entertaining, fun films. But I know that through analyzing Lost and Found and Superboys, I was able to take something that I was passionate about and make a difference, you know, like influence other people worldwide to do what I did. And so that's what I think I want to do is kind of tap into this idea of, and I'm not saying I want to keep doing dog movies either. <laughs> like I love that all this dog stuff because I love dogs. 
but I think there's still a way, like look at Avatar, you know, Avatar is one of the most successful films of all time, but it's also when you break it down about environmentalism and, you know, uh, we need yeah. to treat this earth better and people better. So I think a lot of successful films are about more without making it so preachy. They're able to keep you entertained, but then you walk out of the theater thinking, well, wait a minute, you know, and that's kind of what I want to sort of strive to continue to work on and do and with the new project I'm coming up with and all sorts of stuff, you know? Yeah, and you literally have influenced many lives all around the world through your work. For example, this tour of Lost and Found, you actually really adopted a new dog uh, named Mosey while on a road trip and were even able to find the family who would adopt it. And you know, people have commented such great things. It has received over 4 million views and people are saying this guy deserves to be in heaven and all that. And it's great to see that how you are now just uh, trying to find and developing your own voice. And all I can think of right now is that I know your style of creating films is so unique. Do you think when you reach a stage where you have to make those cinematic two-hour films, can you continue with that style or do you, would you have to put some dramatic stuff into it? Yes, you never know until you try. And um, I just know that I do feel like I see the world differently. Um, I do feel like I have a voice. I always have felt like I have. And I'm never, I'm not going to stop. You know what I mean? It's like uh, Martin Scorsese said with all of his films, he, he, it was something that he had to do. He had this story that he had to say and share with the world. And that's how I feel. Like there's so much daily going on up here that I'm like, ah, I got to get it out there. I got it. And um, I really think that, um, you know, what's been great about this year for me was when these two projects finished, they're both about 25 half hour long, um, which is long for a short, you know, especially when you're entering festivals and stuff. So I was like, let me do a bunch of shorter shorts this year, five minutes, and I'll be able to um, tackle different genres and show that there's more to me in my writing style, which I'm doing and I've done. So I think it's been a real success for me this year to try these different themes and stories and a shorter content, uh, content and get them out and get into these festivals and win these awards. Because now I feel like, okay, I agree. That was a big success for me. I told another true story and embellished and made it my own a little bit. That was a success. Now I've got these kind of sci-fi funny things that still have an element of me, but they're, so now I feel like I've really reached this climax of like, as a storyteller, I know exactly how I want to bob and weave through my own personal experiences and life. And then also just, you know, there's, there's a lot of things like I'm very influenced by native American culture um, and their artwork. And I, I read so many books just about how life used to be thousands of years ago um, on this continent before white people came and fucked it up, basically. <laughs> and um, I, I really feel for them. I think that's part of the reason why I feel for pit bulls is they're so misunderstood. And I feel like even today, you know, indigenous people and Native American people, I mean, it's still not understood. And it, it, it's not taught in schools as well. And so I'm not Native American, you know what I mean? But this is something that I feel very passionately about. I think I'm vegan, you know, so I have a love for the animals and reading about the way that they used to respect and love the earth and all things of the earth and animals. You see what I'm saying? So it's like, I'm reaching this plateau of like, uh, yeah, I have my own interests and things that I want, but I also have things that like, you know, they just, they're stories that I want to tell. They're things that I want to shed light on. And I think that's what makes the best uh, storytellers and filmmakers is that ability, you know, to kind of go tap into those different areas um, and, sure. and make it the and best it can be. 
Yeah, and it's such a spellbinding experience just watching your movies and I personally can't wait to see what you do in the coming years because even now just taking your eyes on your relationship with your brother which I think is uh, such a great side to watch and even while I look at your brother he seems like such a fun loving guy and the way he just uh, enjoys each and every moment and I know a part of it uh, has to play with you as well as your parents the way you kind of involved him and you would share you shared somewhere that he would beg you to do these superhero movies and you would always be all gung-ho and uh, excited about it what role did your brother have in terms of just influencing you you must have felt something just seeing him deal with his idiosyncrasies in such a positive way how did it influence you my younger brother uh so i'm the oldest i have a middle brother who's married with four kids um and then my youngest brother joel uh he's special needs so he's um developmentally disabled and growing up it was hard you know because as the oldest i'm sort of like the protector i want so much for him um, and I'm definitely guilty of bullying kids when I was young. I was terrible. I said the worst things. I made fun of kids. And then I kind of got a little older and I was like, Joel's going to get bullied. You know, all those things that happen to you are going to happen to him. And so that that kind of sticks with you at a young age. And, and you, you know, you don't want that. You don't, you know, anybody you care about, you don't want bad things to happen, but it's part of life. Um, and so I think, yeah, there could be a lot of negative. And I, you know, I've even, I used to teach at uh, Actors for Aut Autism here. And worked with a lot of our autistic students uh, making movies. And that was great because I think ultimately you learn that um, just because someone might have a disability, that doesn't make them, you know, handicapped. They're not, they're not, they're still very capable of doing so much, especially creatively. And Joel is like the prime example of it. Um, you know, he may struggle with some things that most people, you know, can do easily. Um, but in other areas, he excels. He knows every single name of every single superhero. You know, he has oh. a sick collection. And he loves – he cheers you up. I think you could see from that he – for his – that was his 30th birthday party. He made everyone that come wear a superhero costume. So just Only being he around could do him, that. Exactly. And um, just being around him, he's just full of joy. He FaceTimes me every day because he's in Ohio. I'm in um, California. He FaceTimes me multiple times a day. And we just laugh. We don't even talk about anything. He'll just be like, hey, hey, hey. I love listening to his cackle. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hilarious. And um, so this is uh, something that I did when I was in college. I actually did a film um, and I used both my brothers as the subjects. And it's my mom yells at him, tells him to pick up his toys. And he has a dream that he becomes Batman. And I'm Two-Face and I fight him. It's kind of like Wizard of Oz. Like you were there and you were there, you know, and my brother is Robin. Um, and so it was cool because it was like, this was one of the first kids movies that we did that I edited in the computer because we would always just do it, edit in camera. Once I went to college, I was able to make another movie with my friends here. It's called Sweet Dreams. And this is one of the first ones we edited. Um, and so over the years, you know, we've continued to do this. Um, every time I go visit back home, he'll ask me to read him comic books. And I'll get into the comic books and do the voices of, Joker here, yeah! I'm like, no, I'm Batman. And he <laughs> loves that. Um, and we'll sometimes make movies with toys still. We have a few movies that we made when I came back from college that got like hundreds of thousands of views on YouTube like Spider-Man 3 and Iron Man. And we did all these like toy movies that were, they kind of like got a bunch of views. And we told people, look, we're just two nerds that love these movies and we're redoing it. And he is so influential to me because he is the one, you know, like going home, let's make a movie. Let's pick up the camera. Let's do this. Let's dress up. Let's go scare someone. Like he's so like, 
creative in and of himself. And that's where I knew that I wanted to share that with the world too, because I think ultimately, just as I tried to show pit bulls and rescue dogs in a way that nobody had seen them before through comedy, I thought I'm going to do the same thing again with people with special needs, specifically the actor that plays Joel in the film, Alex Stiddick. Um, he's a young man with autism and he, I met him at Actors Through Autism where I used to work. And so I thought, how cool would it be to be able to do a film where I show people with special needs in a way that they've never seen before. And I think when you watch Superboys, it's not one of those films where you're reminded every five minutes that you're watching a movie about someone with special needs. Like, I'm so sick of yeah. those movies. And there, there's always a scene where they call them names. And boy, I'm like, I was like, I'm going to do none of that stuff. This is just going to be a super positive movie where these two dudes pick up the camera and dress up and make a movie. And I think that's what people have really related to. It's different, you know, and so many people, we didn't get to screen the film because of COVID, you know, but we did do kind of like a low key screening and there were a bunch of students from Actors for Autism who came up to me and they just loved it so much because I think it does kind of empower people as well. And if you do struggle with a disability or of, of any kind on the, on the spectrum, Superboys is one of those movies. I've talked to people that aren't even special needs. They're like, that made me want to get up and go do something, go make a movie, go read a comic book, go play with my brother, go hang out with the kids in the neighborhood, you know? So it's just cool to be able to like use my brother as the springboard, you know, that sort of tells that story and shares it with people. No, surely it is uh, really inspiring to see that. And even uh, while I walk through your childhood movies, such an exciting experience to watch that. In the starting of Superboys, I remember there was this logo where you... I'm sure you must have spent hours just editing and compiling it where you showed each block contains one of your childhood movies and the kind of effort that you put in, take it from editing clips to being a visualizer. I found it rather interesting when you shared you visualize all your films and draw these sketch. Even you used to uh, sketch these comic books as well. And your interest for superheroes, you know, is uh, so passionate and such such excitement that I feel after watching it all I wonder is you know maybe in future if you get a chance to make a superhero movie would you be willing to you know try out something because I'll be honest with you this is my personal opinion you know after Avengers Age of Ultron I didn't feel the same kind of uh, excitement and enthusiasm after watching rest of the movies and the recent Spider-Man movie. Now, it was a bit muddled up with all the Nick Fury having his body doubles and monsters kind of stuff, although the acting was brilliant, but still it just didn't feel like that. You know, since the time Stanley has passed away, I just think Marvel is just going in the opposite direction and we need someone to lift it up. Would you be willing to take on that role? comes great responsibility i will rise to the challenge i would absolutely love that um i agree with you too i do think marvel's kind of i mean it's like you know you just look at some of these things they're becoming very factory filmmaking type projects too especially the disney's taking over them i haven't really enjoyed any of the series that they've done so far um or the recent films they're just they're just popcorn nonsensical action flicks and i think that yeah. uh you know like the dark knight is such a good example of a superhero film that actually is about something it's about revenge and it's about how far would you go and um so many different uh, philosophical elements in that film i'm really excited for the new batman movie by matt reeves because I, the trailer looks insane and you know you're talking to someone who's read almost every single batman comic he could ever get his hands <laughs> on all the classics and it seems like they're really doing him justice i didn't really like bat batflex version of him um and i think it was not really his problem it was more of the writing behind it um so yeah, to your point, 
I think in my world, I could envision something where like, you know, I was talking about adapting. I would love if one day someone says, here's a comic or here's a character adapted into a film. I would absolutely love an idea of taking something that we already all know and love and taking a new spin on it. You know, I actually really did enjoy um, Zack Snyder's um, Man of Steel. What is it? Uh, the new uh, Snyder cut. Because it was just different. It was like the superheroes that you know and love, but just done in a different way. And so I think that's my thing is Hollywood comes on board and they go like, oh, yeah, who cares about all those comics and all that uh, pre-writing that we already have that's awesome that the fans love. Let's come up with new stuff. No, there's so much material already there, I believe in. Um, and I've read so many of the greats, classic comics. And also, I should say, I'm into comics that aren't even have nothing to do with superheroes. Like, I love... Um, one of my favorites is Blankets by Craig Thompson. If you've never checked uh, check that out, please do. It's such a well done book. It's a thick comic, but he's like a um, he's like a Nickelodeon style cartoonist that told the story of how he grew up and kind of things that he struggled with and kind of coming of age. And he came from a Christian family, but decided to become an artist. Um, and there's just so many different types of comics I think out there that I am just a fan of the medium in general. I also love like films like Sin City where they just took like sh like shot for shot and just remade it into like moving sure. image. So I feel like there's still so much potential with comic book type films. Um, and I also think that they don't need to be aimed at kids and so kitty and just so marketing driven films. Like I think we can get back to sort of like a 2001 Space Odyssey artistic different sort of telling of these comic book types. For sure. Stories. And I'll just jump in by saying that, you know, personally, I just want Christopher Nolan to step in and create something because when I look at these films like Dark Knight, when it had Joker in it, or even Bane, I mean, man, the way the superhero world combined with the storytelling... It's just something I've never watched before. And the characters are so deep layered. Take it for Harvey to Heath Ledger. You know, obviously, uh, kudos to their acting. It's just a completely different experience. And before proceeding on, you know, do we have time for more questions? Nowhere to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I'm having such a great time talking to you. And the diversity of knowledge that you have regarding all of this is just amazing to listen and to top things off i know that you were able to interview one of my favorite current talk show hosts conan o'brien and i actually love this interview i just look back and said how am i not able to recognize this guy i watched this interview last year and it's just an amazing experience i want to know in your words i mean how did you feel? Because Conan is known for knowing his guests in such a great way. Like you watch his interviews with Aubrey Plaza, Bill Burr, the way he brings out their original personalities, it's great to watch. And from someone who's been with him in person, I mean, I'd love to know your experience. Conan is such a great guy. I got to hang out with him a little bit more after that too and talk to him about Star Wars for like an hour. And just he's just such a genuine guy, you know. I think he's just true comedic talent and just really kind-hearted guy. I think that's why so many people in the industry love him. But I should tell you, I mean, that was an insane experience. Um, I actually got hired to be the videographer on the red carpet of the event. Well, the blue carpet because it was for autism awareness. Um, and right before the guy that was supposed to do the interviews bailed. So the guy that hired me was like, well, do you have a suit? Would you do it? And I, I love to be on camera. I love to act as you guys can see. Um, but I am focusing, like I said, more on writing and directing. But I see myself more as like a Quentin Tarantino puts himself in cameos in his film. I don't necessarily want to be the main actor moving forward. 
but I love to be on camera. I always, you know, grew up with my brothers. I was usually the bad guy. So you put a camera on me, I become a ham just kind of <laughs> instinctually. Um, so when he asked me if I would do the interviews, I was like, oh my God, I'd love to, of course. And he's like, all right, well, you know, um, Al Roker's coming. I can't remember the one girl from Fast and Furious. It was like a bunch of little celebrity celebrities and then he's like oh and conan o'brien i'm like shut up and i'm like am i am i gonna interview conan o'brien he's like yeah <laughs> oh my gosh and so i thought okay this is cool but it's like uh, have you ever seen uh home alone where like he's like this is it don't get scared now <laughs> like i was just was like <laughs> all right man you got this you know and so i was on the red carpet and i'm interviewing these people coming up and i was blowing it like i didn't i didn't even know the name and i still don't i can't remember the name of the girl from Fast and Furious. <laughs> And she knew that I didn't know her name. And you could tell how mad she was. She kind of stormed off after the interview. Al Roker, like, I didn't know what to ask Al Roker. And the guy that had hired me gave me questions to ask. They're kind of stupid. So here comes Conan. I see him walking down. My heart starts pounding. I'm like, oh, this is about to happen. And you're talking to someone who grew up, you know, watching Conan on his little TV in his room late at night. You know, I've always been obsessed. I always loved Conan way better than, you know, Leno and Letterman. Right. So here he comes. And I just want to include a little bit in it. You know, I've been started watching talk show hosts for years. And I started out with Jimmy Fallon and Kimmel because Conan was not aired in our country. And now I discovered these Conan clips and I'm just binging on them. More importantly, I started watching Johnny Carson, Steve Allen, the guy who created the talk show host format. And yep. what's great about those 60s time is the kind of chemistry that all of them had, which is not yeah. now visible in terms of these talk show hosts, just to include that. Both of the guys you mentioned were huge influences on Conan, you know what I mean? And that's why he was able to sort of break it down into, you know, this interview style that he has. But yeah, when I got to interview him, you know, he comes down, he comes up to me with his wife and I just, again, I think I entered that sort of flow state. I remember my heart pounding. I felt like my hand was shaking a little bit, but I, you know, interviewed him. And I think it's cool. The, the clips on my Instagram, I posted it for, you know, he ended his show and he's moving to like a, a new format on HBO Max. Mm -hmm. So I posted the clip, you know, to say thanks for all the, you know, years of laughs, Conan. But it came out good. Like re even rewatching it now, it's like, man, I made Conan laugh. I made Conan laugh. And like we were talking, I love popcorn. He said he loved popcorn. You know, and I was like, that joke uh, you know, about gotta... that joke about maintaining his body was just yeah. amazing. Yeah. And he's like, no, that's gone years ago. And we laughed. And <laughs> it went so good, and I just felt like, you know, this is good. And I think the, I think so. So I think the biggest lesson there is, you know, I've also got to meet a few other people that I look up to. Um, Mike Judge being one of them. You know, the creator of wow. Butthead and King of the Hill. And Mike Judge, I got to talk to for quite some time, and he really was uh, interested in my work. And uh, you know, because he grew up doing voices, you know, making his little animations with his little brothers and stuff. So we bonded on that. And I realized, I think moving to LA, there's this kind of, um, David Mamet said, and I was watching this interview, he said, people move to LA like they move to, or they go to Vegas because they think they're going to strike it rich. Well, if I go visit Vegas, I'm going to win big. Um, if I go to LA, I'm going to get discovered. I'm going to be at the grocery store and someone's going to see me and I'm going to become famous. That's corny. Although it has happened, it's not likely. And so I think with meeting celebrities, every chance that I've gotten, you know, I don't approach them. And I did, I did get to shoot a bunch of things with celebrities. So I've had experience already. Desensitize the tad. I don't approach it in saying, oh my gosh, Conan. Ah! I'm like, all right, he's a dude. I'm a dude. Let's have a conversation. And I think that's the biggest advice I could give people is if you do see someone that you look up to or, or you know, you want to talk to or get, you know, even just have an experience with, 
um, approach them as a human being and a person and connect with them first. And they'll, I think, appreciate that even more. And that's gone really far for me. And I've actually been able to connect with a lot of people. I've gotten emails. I've got to chat with people through just being myself. Um, and people will see that passion, you know, when you are genuine. Um, and that's something that happened, you know, with Conan and uh, a few others. And I'm really grateful for that opportunity. I think to this day, even seeing that image, it's like, man, I can't believe I got to do that. It's so awesome. I'm sure. And these kinds of people, they are like self-made people. They didn't have connections in this industry, quite the opposite. And they all are also carrying that baggage. For example, Conan has mentioned a lot about his father. He used to just think that he's nuts. And then he somehow made a career out of doing comedy and just knowing people in a way which I believe no talk show host at present time is able to do. It's quite a rare thing to achieve. And just to end things up, you know, is there any concluding remarks that you would like to share with your fans or any project that you're just looking forward to? Because your life is totally amazing. And I think this episode would be quite less. Not only this episode, but my laptop's battery would be quite less to absorb all of your life experiences in this single episode. <laughs> yeah, I think my uh, headphones are about to die. Um, no, you know, thank you so much, honestly. I, I should say, man, you you have just been like, even just your encouragement, you know, it's a lot of times people crack jokes, you know, in this industry and they, you know, joke about the depression and stuff like that. But I think if you can enjoy the little moments, if you can enjoy the feedback you get from random people, you know, you and I have never met until today and, and things like that. It's You have to and you have to revel in that and you have to really take it to heart. And, it, and it's such a great feeling. So thank you so much for everything you've said. It's going to help me, you know, after this, I'm going to have a little bit of, you know, floating around because, it, you know, just it's great to know that my work is connecting with people. And that's the biggest thing. I think even in today's day and age, it's great that everything's happening online, but you're missing that face to face. And so thank you so much for everything that you've shared and that my work has done for you. I really appreciate that. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, um, you know, and, and you're like, oh, my life is amazing. Like, especially on Instagram, you don't see everything, you know what I mean? And and that's the thing. I, I still struggle with stuff, you know, daily. And I think like you were saying with Conan, you know, it's like with me justifying spending an entire week, an entire month. Uh, months on end working on a bunch of pieces of paper, you know, it's weird. But then it's like, it's not because look what I did with those pieces of paper, you know? And so I, I constantly remind myself that, yes, this is a weird thing I'm doing by just studying movies and writing all day and, and shutting myself off from all my friends and researching. And, but then again, it's not because I'm someone that's done something with this stuff. And I think that's yeah. the key, you know? And you even got the confidence to, you know, be able to do it. And just to end things here, you know, there's so much to you. And I do believe that in future we can do this again because my laptop in five minutes, I, my screen would just disappear. And <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. let me just say one last thing. So Shaman's Call, that's my next short that I talked about at the beginning, the one based off my trips to the to the desert that's going to come out in november uh november 11th and then yeah the dream let's see we don't know what's going to happen yet i've got tons of ideas i'm going to be doing more writing you know maybe shooting more shorts in the upcoming year and hopefully getting uh, a feature started soon so stay tuned <laughs> yeah i'm sure you'll do great stuff with it and totally find a way to make it happen and i encourage our viewers to go and traverse through all the links in the description because this guy is doing a hell of a job and i can't wait to see what you do in future I couldn't have asked for a better guest. I enjoyed the whole research process of it. And thank you for doing this once again. I had an amazing time. Hope you enjoyed being a part of this as well. 
You're awesome. Thank you for all the positive feedback and for everything you're doing for all these indie artists out here. I think it's great helping us kind of share our stories, you know, to, to help more people, motivate more people to do the same. Sure, man. I just love your journeys. And just one last note for our viewers. This conversation would be available in audio format on all streaming platforms as well as in video format on YouTube. If you want to watch one or two minute snippets of our conversation, do check out our Instagram page whose link would be in the description. And once again, this is how we end our episode with the talented, creative and one of my favorite filmmakers, you know, John Mancinetti and just Thank you for making this happen. Have a great day, man. See you later, everybody. See you. <laughs> oh, Bye. God. Oh, we, <laughs> I think we just bored him for the whole hour. <laughs> yeah, he's sitting here like, mm, mm, pay attention <laughs> to me. <laughs> and with this, we end the episode 12 of Previewers with John Mancinetti. You all can check out this episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other streaming platforms. If you enjoy listening to this, consider leaving us a review. And once again, thanks for tuning in. Hope you have a great day. Music.